Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here at the home office. It is a Wednesday morning, October 5th. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful fall weather. I surely am. Welcome to Romans Rewind. We are right now trekking through the book of Romans. We're in Romans 13, wrestling with one of the more difficult passages of scripture in the Bible, which is how do we relate as Christians and as the church to the civil government? and the authorities that be. And when I say this is a controversial passage, I don't mean that it's difficult to understand. What I mean is that it's difficult to know how it applies in each and every circumstance. And so we're spending some time this week um, unpacking different portions of this text. So let, let me read the text for us again, and we're gonna dive in. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is, revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Now, one of the things that Paul does here is he gives an incentive or, or a disincentive, if you, if you want to put it that way, to obeying the government. Um, and the, the incentive, so to speak, is that by obeying the government, this is as a general principle and rule, you will be protected, you will be rewarded, you will not be punished for doing what is right. But then he also has a warning, right? And the warning is found in several places. And let me highlight this. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist, and here's the word, will incur judgment. Okay? So that, that, that's a warning. Well, if you disobey the authorities um, that God has rightfully set in place, you will incur judgment. Um. Look down here in verse 4, okay? For he, meaning the civil authorities, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So here we say it mentioned several times. There's God's judgment is mentioned once. God's wrath is mentioned twice. And what we want to try to understand is what exactly is this judgment? What exactly is this wrath. A lot of times we think about the wrath of God. Um, for example, in 1 Kings 18, I believe it is, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And then immediately the servants, prophets of Baal, are put to death by the sword. So that's seems a pretty clear example of the wrath of God, 
right? His holiness um, displayed his opposition to sin. And this is what we would call kind of an active wrath, okay? This active wrath is one where there really is or very little mediation between God's opposition to sin and the person receiving that wrath, okay? So, so a direct sort of wrath. Again, we can think about Noah and the flood. So God's wrath is poured out upon all mankind because of wickedness, and he decrees that the world will be judged. The world will be destroyed. Um, at the end of time, there's going to be a sense in which God's wrath, not a sense, it will be, God's wrath is going to be poured out on all unrighteousness. There is going to be an assignment of people to either eternal life with God in his joyful presence or separated from God in hell. That would be, these would be examples of, of God's active wrath. But there's also a sense, and I think this is what gets at what Paul's getting at here. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of the passive wrath of God. And, and if we can use that term and by passive, what we mean is that God's judgment um, in a certain circumstance is not so much eternal and direct, but it's temporal and indirect. Okay. So what do we mean by this? Well, here, I think it's very clear that when Paul is talking about judgment, those who will resist will incur judgment or they will incur God's wrath. He's talking specifically about the temporal um, sort of punishments that come from disobeying the civil authorities. So there is a sense in which you could say, if you are speeding, you get caught for speeding and you get a ticket, um, that ticket and the fine is a sense, a judgment, right? It's a judgment on behalf of the civil authorities um, against you for breaking the law. And the fact that these servants, okay, these civil servants are in fact servants of God means that the punishment that's being doled out is in a sense from God, okay? But it's indirect, right? It's through an intermediary. Um, and it's also temporal, meaning that if you're a believer and you commit a crime, even a heinous crime, that does not consign you to eternal separation from God. There could be a sense, a real sense, in which you receive the judgment of the civil authorities or the wrath of God indirectly for your crime that you might have to pay a penalty for, not just money, but maybe it's a prison term, maybe a, a lifetime prison term. Think about the person who commits murder but later becomes a Christian in prison. He has, that person, received the judgment of the civil authorities. He's received indirectly the, the wrath of God, the punishment of sin, being in prison, but yet he's not spared, uh, but yet he is spared from eternal punishment um, in the direct wrath of God because he's trusted in Christ. That wrath has come from God poured out on Christ on his behalf, and now he's spared that even though he's temporally suffering the wrath of God and the judgment of the magistrates. I think Paul here is referring to the temporal and indirect 
punishment and wrath that comes upon those who do wrong, evildoers who break the law. Now, let me talk out of the other side of my mouth for a second. But I don't think we can entirely discount this idea of direct wrath and eternal wrath. And, and let me explain what I mean. And by the way, this kind of wrath we would also call an eschatological wrath, a wrath that's delivered on the final day, a wrath that's a judgment that is irrevocable, that's one time, that's irreversible. See, there's a sense in which by our patterns of authority in our life and our submission to those authorities, we are establishing a template for how we will respond to the authority of God. So oftentimes we used to tell our kids, um, when you're disobeying mom and dad, you really are disobeying God as well. And the idea was to communicate to them that while their disobedience of us as temporal authorities in their life, um, incurring temporal judgment and punishment, um, could be uh, a precursor to judgment and wrath that they would experience in relation to God, if they are indeed not submitting to him and trusting in him and walking with him. So in that sense, this is why we can say that the, the relationship that each of us has to authority in our life is of crucial import, certainly for the time being. So if we're not following the rules or breaking the rules at work, we will incur the the temporal indirect temporal wrath judgment of, of our boss and of the Lord indirectly. But if that becomes a template for how we are to respond to all authority relationships, we stop listening to our spouse. We harden our hearts against other believers. We harden our hearts ultimately towards God, which could land us in a place where we in fact end up experiencing the eschatological judgment and wrath of God that had its roots back here in the temporal indirect judgment and wrath of God. And this is why, again, there is this constant call for us to recognize the God-given authorities in our life and to submit to them, because by doing so, we're showing that our ultimate submission is to God himself. And when we are resisting the authorities in our life, we're really resisting God. And we have to be warned because there could be such a pattern of resisting the authorities in our life that in the end we reveal that we really were never a believer to begin with, that, that we were going through the motions, that we were saying the right words, but we weren't truly entrusting our lives to God and his absolute authority over us. So I think that's how the two kinds of wrath and judgment are ultimately related. I think Paul is speaking of the first primarily, the temporal indirect wrath judgment of God, but it's crucial of vital importance to get that, to understand how it's connected to the direct and eternal punishment, wrath and judgment, excuse me, and judgment of God. All right, so there we go. Be back tomorrow, Thursday to go at Romans 13 another time. So thanks for being here with us. Let me pray us out. Lord, we want to be submissive to all the authorities in our life because they're given by you. We particularly want to be submissive to your authority. And so, Father, help give us ears to hear, um, eyes to see, Lord, mouths to proclaim the truth of who you are. 
Lord, incline our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.